Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, church. It's good to see you here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Jason Williams. I serve as a lead teaching pastor here. It's somewhat of a new title and a little bit of a redefined role. And for 14 and a half years, I was lead pastor and now lead teaching pastor, which means I'm going to have the opportunity to focus more on this in the months and years that are coming. Uh, and I'm excited about that. Um, and so just a, just a a joy and honor to get to introduce myself to you, but I would say this, if you're visiting with us today, um, we're going through sec- uh, First Peter, and a topic's going to come up today that um, is a little bit of, has a little bit of controversy connected to it, and so if you're visiting with us, you're going to get to kind of witness how we walk through hard topics, and so that's where we're headed today uh, as we get into Second Peter, First uh, Peter, sorry, First Peter 2. After we finish First Peter, we're going to do Second Peter, First Peter 2. There we go, on the same page. All right, so um, I'm really just going to dig in today and, and start working through the text, but one, one of our principles here as a church is this, that there are things that the Bible addresses that are explicitly clear, and there are other things that come up in the scriptures that it's not quite clear what we should do with them. So we say it this way, we want to land firm where the Bible lands firm, and we want to land softly or hold loosely those things that are discussed but maybe aren't as explicitly clear. So today, my goal is to let the text speak for itself, to let God speak, his voice to speak through his word to us today. And I would say this as well, that um, I came into the first service today with some trepidation and fear just around dealing with a controversial topic. I was just feeling that. But now having already done a service, I'm actually excited about the text and excited about what God has to say because embedded in this text are some beautiful Christian principles that often are overlooked and seldom taught. And so while the, con- the, the topic itself is going to be a little bit weighty to navigate, um, there are going to be some things that come out of the text today that I'm excited about, that I'm glad we're taking some time to work through together. And so starting in verse 13, the first thing that Peter says in this, past, this section is this, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the supreme or the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, this topic has come up quite a bit in the last you know, four or five years, especially since COVID. There's a big question in the church, like when do we follow the mandates of government and when do we follow our own convictions? And so the first thing that Peter instructs um, in this passage is this, be subject to or submit to for the Lord's sake, not just exclusively for your sake or for the sake of the emperor, but for the Lord's sake, be submissive to or subject to the governing authorities. He says, whether we're talking about the emperor who sits supreme or we're talking about your local governors, that God put these men and women in place. And God himself sits in authority over them. This is a hard topic to talk through, especially if you're in a position where you disagree, whether it's now or in previous years or 
years to come with those in leadership, whether that's a local authority all the way up to the president himself. If you find yourself in opposition to, I believe things differently, I see the world differently, or I strongly disagree with a person in authority. And so we're going to dig into this passage and see what Peter's instructing us to do here. But I, I think it's important to remember, like, he's writing to a group of Christians who have been exiled and deported out of Rome by the emperor for their faith in Jesus. They were unwilling to recant their faith in Jesus, so the emperor exports them, deports them, exiles them out to the smaller communities of Asia Minor. So not only were they living under the rule of a pagan emperor, also an emperor who mistreated them. Okay, so this is the context that Peter's writing these words. Be subject to, submit to leadership, even when you strongly disagree and even when you're being mistreated. We're going to unpack this today and hopefully give some, some help around what Peter's getting at, but then I really want to land practical today. If we're going to bring up such a hard topic, let's get some practical help around this. What does this look like in real time in your life, in your job, in your, your family, in your neighborhood, even in your church? What does this look like to be subject to leadership? So what I want to start with is this, is the idea, and this will come up again, is, is acknowledging, first of all, verse 14 says that as we submit to the governors or the emperors, that we see them as those who are sent by him, by God. That nobody comes to power outside of the sight of God himself. And so it's so important to, to remember that any human being who sits in authority over you is going to let you down and fail you. In whatever God's called them to do and to be, they're going to miss the mark. And it is also true that every human is going to miss the mark at different degrees, right? Some are going to get closer to the mark and some are going to be further from the mark. But what Peter reminds us of is like, hey, let's not lose sight of why these people are in charge. God put them in charge to reward good and discipline evil. That is the point of government. They aren't here to legislate theology. They're here to reward good and punish evil. And if you look through human history, every leader misses the mark. Some to greater degrees than others, but every human misses the mark. If your favorite candidate makes his or her way into the presidency, if you'll pay close enough attention, they are going to let you down and they are going to miss the mark. The point isn't that they're going to do it perfectly. All Peter's saying is like, here, there's a purpose and a reason for government to reward good and discipline evil. And so after this, he says this, he says, not only is this the will of God, but here's what God's will is for you. You do good. Okay, so we're going to define that in a minute. But he says, here's what I want you to do. Do good. And in your striving to do good, when you're under oppressive pagan leadership, you're going to do more to silence the ignorance of the foolish than if you get big and loud. Now, I'm not on social media anymore. I used to be. I haven't been on in maybe six or seven years. But if I were on social media, as I read that verse today, I would want to go back through and take some inventory on how I navigated topics I disagree. Did I get big and loud? Or was it evidence that I was striving to do good? Now, I want to think about that because I think we saw some examples in our culture Maybe you were one of those examples. That's between you and God and your own conscience. But maybe you were. 
but at the least you saw somebody. A well-meaning Christian who got, instead of doing good, they got big and loud. And so what Peter is saying is if you want to have a greater impact on the culture at large, on the emperor himself, strive to do good. That will do more to silence the foolishness of the ignorant people around you. Interesting. So I'm like, okay, well then, what does doing good look like? That's kind of general. Do good. Well, he says, like he ends this section by saying, here's how you do good. You honor everyone. You love the brotherhood. You fear God, and then he circles back around to the emperor, and you honor the emperor. So let's start with honoring everyone. You can honor those you disagree with. You can even honor those who mistreat you. So let me unpack that for us today. There is this more of a modern day virtue that has been bouncing around that I've seen Christians take hold of that would say this, if you disagree with me, you hate me. You know, you can disagree with somebody without it being personal. You can disagree with somebody and never lose sight of honor. So what does that mean to honor somebody? It means to ascribe value. To act in a way that would say to that person, you matter to me, therefore you matter in the world. And what Peter, I think, is saying is every image bearer deserves honor. You can honor everyone. What are some ways that you can honor people? Well, be respectful, be kind. You can always be respectful and kind. In any situation, you can be respectful and kind. You don't have to repay evil for evil. You can respond to being mistreated. You can respond to strong disagreeing, disagreeances without losing honor. Saying to that person, you matter to me, therefore you matter in the world. I don't agree with you, but I'm not personally offended by you. Right? Now that's, that is different from the message we're getting from culture. This idea that when you disagree with me, you hate me, that is a cultural virtue. That is not a biblical virtue. Peter is not saying, hey, change your mind on the emperor. He's actually a really good guy. Hey, change your mind on the pagans who live around you who are mistreating you. They're actually just really sweet people. No, he's saying like everyone, everyone deserves to be honored. And in case you didn't catch that, he circles around at the end. He's like, and even the emperor. Now, more than likely, this was under the emperor Nero. I mean, even if it was after the next guy, both were just vicious, persecuting, violent, evil men and who stood strongly against Christianity. And Peter's saying, hey, you, you can still honor these human beings. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to endorse what they're doing. But you can be kind and you can be respectful. This is seen so vividly in Jesus' example himself. Not one time in front of Pilate, the governing authority, do you see him reviling evil or repaying evil for evil. He never loses respect for the man who had the authority to put him to death and honor. So Peter's saying, hey, here, here, here you want, do good. Start by honoring everyone. Then he brings up the brotherhood, and he says, love the brotherhood. This is a common Christian identity marker. 
Um, John uh, writes in his gospel, he captures in John 13, Jesus is teaching around this. And Jesus is like, hey, here's how the world will know that you belong to me by the way you love one another. Honor everyone, but there's a specific calling and commitment that Christians have towards one another. Right? So there's something unique about being in Christ that comes with this kind of set of expectations and instructions. Hey, I want you to love one another in a way that sets you apart. People are like, why? As they look at you and they look at somebody else and how you treat one another, they're able to see what love looks like. So what is love? A basic example or definition would be this, to be for the good of another human being or to act on behalf of another human being for their greatest good. So you say that you love me, yet you don't have my greatest good in mind, that's lip service. If I say I love you, then I'm going to be for your greatest good, which doesn't mean I always say things that are, you know, warm and fuzzy. Like sometimes we have to have hard conversations, and that doesn't mean we've forsaken brotherly love. Right? So this idea of brotherly love is like, hey, don't lose sight of this. Honor everyone, and don't lose sight of brotherly love. So think about applying this in the church and outside the church. Just give you some help here. This applies to every Christian you encounter in the world, but there's a specific calling to the Christians in your local church. Because what's different is that we in the church are actually in a covenant relationship with one another. It's why we go through a covenant in membership. So that you know that I'm committed to you and that you know what you're committing to me. Right, we said, hey, I'm in on this, and this is my covenant to you. These are the things that you can expect to see me striving for in our relationship. Always getting it right? No, but this is what we're aiming at together. And so there's a real specific covenant relationship among Christians within the same local church, but the application extends even outside. As you encounter Christians from other churches and other places, that you would display a brotherly affection or a brotherly love. And he just commanded this in the previous chapter. It was actually his fourth command in his letter here was he commanded us out of a pure heart to love one another with brotherly affection. So now he's saying, hey, don't lose sight of that. And the next thing he mentions is fearing God, which was among those first four commands was fearing God. And we talked about how that's um, this idea of never losing sight of my awe and reverence for who God is. So understand that God is so much greater than me and so much greater than us and so much greater than I can imagine. Like his, his wisdom, his, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his justice, like are so immeasurable that I never lose sight of how impressive that is. That I, I operate in a sense of awe and respect towards God. Now I can do that while having a very intimate relationship with him. So the fear of God does not mean that I'm, every time that I talk to God, it's like going to the principal's office. Like he identifies himself as a good father who enjoys when his children come to him. So I never lose sight of this awe and respect while having a very intimate, loving relationship with him. So he says, hey, don't lose sight of this. Fear, fear God. And he circles back around and says, honor the emperor. I want to take some time just to make this practical if I can and talk a little bit about how this plays out here at Solid Rock Church. Let's start with the line between fearing God versus submitting to the emperor. 
I mean, surely there would be a line somewhere where the emperor's commanding you to do something or government's commanding you to do something that God would say, hey, that's where the line is drawn. Don't do that. And, and it's, if so, how do we navigate that? So let me just give you some helpful things. If you want more on this, we did a teaching on a Wednesday night last year, I think, no, two years ago. We really got into this and we talked through COVID vaccines and mandates and those sorts of things. But here, here's the governing principles we would encourage you to live by. Number one, you've got to ask yourself this question. Is this thing I feel so strongly about, is it coming from a place of like personal preference, personal conviction, or biblical conviction? Okay, so I'm going to give you just a few little things to think about to know the difference. Okay, so I don't like ketchup on my anything. So if you put ketchup on the thing, I'm going to scrape it off or I'm going to eat it begrudgingly. But just, I just don't like ketchup, my personal preference. Okay, so it's not a biblical conviction. You can eat ketchup on your stuff, and we haven't, you know, we don't have a disunity in faith. Okay, that's a super low-hanging fruit illustration. That applies as I go up the chart, though, right? I have, I have personal preferences. Okay, you have personal preferences, and that's perfectly fine. But these aren't the things we divide on. They just are what makes you you and what makes me me, and I can admire that you like ketchup. I don't like ketchup. Like, it doesn't make you a bad human being. Now, we step that up a little bit, though, and we get into the realm of personal convictions. These are things that the Bible may or may not talk about, but, but does not give explicit instructions on where to land. Personal convictions. I hope you have personal convictions. There are things that the Scripture will bring up that you'll need to wrestle with. Take into your relationship with God. Where, help me know how to navigate this, God. And you're going to land with some personal convictions, okay? Um, the easiest one to talk through for me is alcohol. The Bible addresses alcohol and gives instruction around alcohol, but there is no explicit command that says don't drink or that drinking is sin or evil. So wherever you land on alcohol, that's a personal conviction. And you can have a different personal conviction than me, and I can still honor you. I can still love you. You can still honor me and love me. And we just say, hey, this is an area we disagree. It's not personal. Okay, that's my personal convictions. What we're looking for, though, are clear, explicit, biblical convictions. What do you do when the government mandates or prohibits you from doing something that God has commanded clearly? So we have to first be honest with ourselves. Where's this coming from? Is this just like how I would prefer something to go? Or is this my conviction on the thing? Or is this a clear, explicit violation of God's word? And then the final thing is this, is once you get there, you need to decide if God's calling you to submit or resist. So we talked about this with um, the vaccines during COVID. It's, I think, a pretty helpful example. Um, the government here did not mandate as a citizen that you had to get vaccinated. They encouraged it and made it available. They didn't mandate it. However, some of your employers did. And so for some of you to opt out, if you had a personal conviction that you didn't want to get a vaccine, you either had to get some kind of a letter maybe from a religious institution that was op helped you opt out, or you had to look for another job, or you had to say no and then just see what happens, right? So some of you had to navigate that. 
Some were coming to us as elders saying, hey, will you sign this paper that says that if I get a vaccine, it's violating a biblical principle of our church? To which the elders said, we can't do that. If this is your personal conviction, we honor that. We're not going to tell you you're wrong in that. We honor that. But we can't say for you as an individual, it's wrong for you to get a vaccine and sign a paper and then not do that for everybody else. It's either a clear biblical violation or it's not. So you could have been a church member who said, you know what, I am convicted to not get the vaccine. I feel like there's a violation of my rights. We would honor you. You could also be a church member who said, I want to get the vaccine. I think that's the best thing for me and my family. We would, we would honor you in that. Because it wasn't a clear violation of biblical principle. You see how that works? And, and we can disagree on a personal conviction level and still have fellowship with one another. I can honor you. I can actually love you and disagree on those kinds of things. So there's the starting point. Where is this coming from? Personal preference, personal conviction, biblical conviction. Am I being mandated or prohibited from doing something God has commanded that's explicitly, clearly biblical? And if so, now I need to ask God, what do you want me to do here? Um, I'll give another example, just in a more practical sense, um, and then we'll come back to, like, talking about even in the church. So, like, let's think about your home, like the family unit. If there is a child who's being abused in a home, what does that child do? There's a clear command to honor your parents. What do you do? I'll tell you, it's not hard. If there is a parent abusing a child, that child needs to speak out. Part of honoring their parent, if there's a parent who's abusing a child, that parent needs help. And not saying anything is not going to get the help that the parent needs or the child. And so I would encourage that child, actually, if the child came to me, I would use my voice on behalf of that child, but I would hope that that child would speak out and not think that they're dishonoring their parents. If the child is in an abusive situation, they can honor their parents while telling the truth and hoping and trusting that the authorities over their parents will step in and do the right thing. Even if their parents get in trouble or go to jail or lose custody, those can be honoring things for a parent who needs help. You with me on that? So, Honoring your parent and submitting to authority does not mean that we don't take into account biblical convictions here. There is a place to draw the line, but just make sure you're not drawing the line at personal preferences or political parties or even personal convictions. Make sure your convictions are rooted in the Word of God. I'm telling you, if you operate based on biblical convictions, God will get your back. But He's not obligated to endorse all my personal preferences. And so that's how it applies maybe in a family situation. So what do you do then uh, in church? I mean, surely you've had a situation where you didn't agree with church leadership. What do you do then? What would we want you to do even here? Okay, first thing I would encourage any person to do who finds themselves in a potential conflict with a fellow brother or sister in Christ, whether they're in leadership or not, check your heart. Just stop and take some inventory. Where's this coming from? How do I feel about it? 
how angry am I? Does this feel like vengeance and revenge? Or does this feel like it's coming from a place of like remorse and conviction? Am I actually seeking their greatest good? Am I willingness to have this conversation? So I'm going to filter it through those, those kinds of questions. Okay? And then the next step is go set up a meeting. Little qualifier here. If you feel like that person is safe. I've spent enough time with some of you, and I've heard enough of your stories to know that there are unsafe people in church leadership in certain churches. Like, I've heard your stories. And in those situations, like, yeah, I, I can understand not going and entrusting yourself to somebody who is just dangerous, who's going to manipulate you and use it against you and all those kinds of things. But if you, at the core, go, you know what, this person is trustworthy. Like, it's not their character and their ability to trust it. I'm going to go meet with them. And I'm going to come in with an open mind. I'm going to ask my question. i be honest. I'm going to honor them by telling the truth. Like, hey, pastor so-and-so. I'll use a youth ministry right now since we don't have a student pastor in place. Hey, pastor so-and-so. Um, so I'm a parent here. And if pastor so-and-so is teaching something that I don't think is aligned with the scriptures and it's clearly, explicitly a violation of God's word, what do I do with that as a, as a parent? Not as a pastor, but as a parent. Pastor so-and-so, can we get together and talk? My, one of my boys came home was just telling me that you were teaching something and he may have misunderstood, benefit of the doubt. Could have totally mis, misunderstood what you were saying. So I, I'd like to hear it just so we could, and then I'd like to have some time to ask questions and see if this is where you believe. And so I go and sit down with Pastor so-and-so and he's like, no, sure enough, that is what I said and that's what I meant and I'm not backing down on that. Okay, so again, I'm a parent. I'm not a pastor on staff. I'm a parent. What do I do? Okay, well, here's what I, we would encourage you to do please set up a meeting with the elders. You need to know that here. Your elders are here to serve you. Prayer needs, whatever is counsel needs, a point of disagreeance, come meet with the elders. It's not going to the principal's office. I promise. Come meet with us. Okay? Our obligation to you is to honor you and love you. We aren't obligated to agree with you, but we are obligated to honor you and love you by hearing you out, listening to you, asking questions, doing our best to explain where we land on things. At the end of the day, two, a couple options. The elders go, you know what? You're right. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. We are going to handle this situation. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Or the elders go, actually, that's what we all believe. This is a belief in our church. And so the fact that pastor so-and-so is teaching this thing, like we stand behind that. Now, just a little help here. Somebody came up to me after last service and said, okay, what do you do in that situation? You're a member of a church. You've gone through the steps. You get to the elders, and you realize that you don't have a unity of faith over this matter. Okay? This is hopefully helpful. Is this a primary doctrine for you? Or is this secondary or tertiary? If it's primary, I would lovingly encourage you to find a church that believes what you believe. Nobody has to be offended. I can be sad that you may be leaving, but if you don't believe with the core theology of this church, like how, how are you going to be shepherded and cared for by people that you don't trust and don't believe the same things? You're, all we're doing is we're setting up more and more tension. So if, if working your way up to the elders and the elders like, no, we agree with pastor so-and-so, the kind and loving thing to do is like, hey, I'll pray for you. We can still hang out and like can be for you. But if you need to go somewhere where your convictions align with your biblical convictions, then, then, then do that. But the elders might say, hey, this is actually a tertiary issue. 
we're in clear disagreeance with one another, but we're in disagreeing over something that we wouldn't say is primary or essential. And here's the question then. Can you in a clear conscience submit and follow our lead in this particular matter, knowing that you disagree? So there may be some issues that come up for you. You're like, I don't align with solid rock on everything. Now, statement of faith, I'm all in. Almost all the secondary issues, I'm all in. But there's this one issue that if I were in charge, I would do it different. But I can worship here, and I can be in unity here, and I could not slander people here. Then, yeah, stay. Don't go anywhere. Plant yourself. Get involved. But do it with your eyes wide open and just be honest about it. I hope that's helpful. We don't have to agree on everything to have a unity of faith. Obviously, these Christians were being called to honor an emperor who was a pagan. We can honor one another. We can certainly love one another. All right. Let's, uh, let's go back to 1 Peter, verse 18. So verse 18 is going to bring up another somewhat controversial topic. Servants or slaves, bondservants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Um, Passages like the one we're in today are passages that have been hijacked uh, in human history by guys like Hitler and even early uh, American leadership to like justify really heinous evil things. He is not endorsing slavery here, nor is he calling you to become a slave or a master. He's using this as an example and application here saying if you find yourself as the slave or the servant, then what he's encouraging you to do is to do good. Do good in response to being mistreated. That this is a gracious thing. So Jesus says it this way. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we don't repay evil for evil. Now, if you legitimately are a slave in a situation and you can get out, get out. I think the word of God would be behind that. I know it would. I mean, we've got a letter to a runaway slave in your New Testament from the Apostle Paul. And he's like, hey, I'm not encouraging this brother to come back and be your slave. He's a brother. So, right, so can we be honest about, like, you find yourself in an oppressive situation, you can get out, get out. It's not the point here. The point is what, how you respond to that oppression, how you respond to being mistreated. He's saying, man, if you just repay evil for evil, what good is that? But if you can respond to evil with good, it is a gracious thing. Man, God can bless gracious things. He can use them for our good, for their good, and his glory. And so that's, that's what Peter's getting at here. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. To what? To do good even when you're being persecuted. To this you've been called. Hopefully we've drawn some clear lines 
around things that are harmful and things that are abusive, but you have been called to do good. What does that mean? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, even honor the emperor. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. And what Peter's calling us to, he's saying, hey, this is a reflection actually of what Jesus has done. He suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How do you reconcile that in your heart? If there's somebody in charge of our country that you disagree with strongly on matters of faith and practice and ethics and whatever, you're not entrusting yourself to that man or woman. Jesus didn't entrust himself to Pilate. He entrusted himself to his Father in heaven. That allowed him to say things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He never lost sight of honoring and loving those around him. Verse 24 and 25, and just a note about Peter. I didn't realize before doing this series how much Old Testament scripture Peter draws from. Oh my gosh, I think of all the biblical authors. I'm gonna go back and check this when we're done. He probably draws from the Old Testament more than anybody. He was a fantastic preacher and teacher out of the old testament because he's about to quote isaiah 53 and so as he puts jesus up as an example saying hey everything i'm calling you to you can see it exemplified in christ himself he says this for he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness jesus was honoring you in his suffering He was loving you in his suffering. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This idea of shepherd and sheep, it's all throughout the Bible and certainly the New Testament. Jesus teaches in John 10. He's the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice. They trust him. They don't trust wolves. Um, In uh, the end of um, the Gospel of John, um, Peter is actually um, reinstated by Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus is like, hey, Peter, I know you deny me three times on the cross, but here we are. I resurrected from the dead. Do you love me? Peter's like, I love you, Lord. It's okay. Go feed my sheep. And he asked him actually three times. The point was Jesus was kind of illustrating this paradigm of love and care. He wanted Peter to go on his behalf, on Jesus' behalf, and to care for sheep, to care for people in the way that a shepherd would care for sheep. In, in Luke um, chapter 15, this is where we'll land today, Jesus uses this same paradigm to illustrate his love for you. It's in one of the parables. It's interesting because in verse 1 of Luke 15 we read this the, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him so think about that 
Why did his opposition draw near to him? I think because he never stopped honoring. So even his opposition drew near to him. So tax collectors and sinners, but even we're going to see the Pharisees and his adversaries. Verse 2, and, his Phar- and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Obviously, he was violating their personal convictions, right? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. You catch that imagery? And when he comes home with the sheep on his shoulders, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, hey, come rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. You picturing that? Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's a reflection of your good shepherd. Before you start thinking that you're one of the 99, we'll go back to heart check. (laughs) You're not. You're the one. You're the one. This call to return to the good shepherd is a call to return to Jesus. And some of you are here today, and Jesus is pursuing you. And just about the time he starts getting close, you push away and move a little bit further away. And he keeps coming. How, how long does he search? Until he finds it. He isn't giving up on you. You're not a lost cause. Jesus is still a good shepherd who pursues the lost sheep. Maybe that's why you're here today. The good shepherd is inviting you into a relationship with him. And so this is where Peter ends. Like, how in the world are you going to entrust yourself to a God you don't know? How are you going to entrust yourself to an authority that's above earthly authorities if you don't see him as good and kind and for your your good? So this plea at the end, this reminder that it is by his wounds that we have been healed. It's by his suffering we have been healed. He did a gracious thing for you by dying on the cross. And so now this invitation to return to the shepherd of your soul. If you don't have a shepherd who you trust over your life, entrusting yourself to authority is going to be a scary thing. Who's there to, 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 to guard them? Who's there to keep them in check? So I want to end here with just a few questions for you to think about this morning. This is what happens when you go through the Bible verse by verse, by the way. First question is this. Do you feel like you strive to honor everyone in your life? Even or even especially those you disagree with? or even those who mistreat you. You don't have to endorse abuse or harmful behavior to be honoring. The question is, do you strive to honor every person in your life?
The next question has to do with brotherly love. Would the other believers in this church, if you're known, if you're new here, I hope to get to know you. You're super awesome. But if you're known here, would the other believers in this church say that they are loved by you and that you're for their greatest good? There's room to disagree. We can disagree, but still be for one another's greatest good. Do the people in this church, even those you disagree with, would they say that you're for their good? The third one has to do with God and our fear of God. Do you live with a heart posture of awe and reverence towards God even when you're outside the church? It's easy to do in here on Sunday mornings. Do you also do it out there? A sense of awe and reverence and respect of God. Do you live that way? This one may land hard and you may need to do some work around this one. Number four is this. In what way do you struggle to submit to your government? Are the things you disagree with a matter of personal preference, personal conviction, or biblical convictions? And then lastly, this question. Have you come to the place in your life where you've turned to Jesus? Putting your faith in him as the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. If you were here last Sunday uh, for the first service during the baptism, David's testimony was a beautiful expression of this. If you missed it, super sad that you missed it. Love to introduce you to him and let him tell you the story firsthand, but just how God came to him later on in life as a shepherd of his soul. My question for you, though, is have you done that? Have you turned to Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him alone as the good shepherd? If not, I'm going to encourage you to come talk to one of our prayer partners today. So we'll wrap up in a minute. Prayer partners will be here, these people here at the front. They're here for you, and they'd be honored to talk with you, pray with you. Just come say, hey, I'm ready to return to the Good Shepherd today. Will you pray for me? And the answer is yes. If the topic today has brought up or stirred things in you, or maybe I've said something that you disagree with or you want want, want more clarity on it, hey, it's not offensive. Please come talk to us. Our elders will be available out in the commons, uh, the guys wearing lanyards. And we may not have all the answers, but we would want you to honor us by bringing that to us and, and letting us do our best to, to hear where you're at and to explain the position of the church on certain matters. Okay, so again, if something's stirring in you or you want more information or you disagree with something or need clarity, come find us, please. We welcome those conversations. You're not in trouble. I'm not in trouble. Nobody's in jeopardy. We just need to have a conversation. All right, so let me pray for us and the worship team's gonna come out and lead us in singing. Father, thank you for... Uh, your word Um, father there are things in your word that that give us warm fuzzies and god just fill us up and god they're easy to read and to turn into bookmarks and bumper stickers and then god there are other things in your word that are hard to read things that um, god press up against our flesh press up against our perspective and the way we see the world and the way we see you. So Father, we want to be honest about that, but we, we thank you for your word and this instruction through Peter. Um, God, thank you that he was willing to take on this hard topic and give us instruction. Father, if there's anybody here today who is struggling um, to just to understand what you've spoken through your word today, God, I pray your spirit would fill up what is lacking even now while we're singing. 
Anybody here today who doesn't know you, I got. I pray there would be a, just a sweet invitation um, into this sheep and shepherd relationship. Um, that that person could come to the place of trusting in Jesus and Him alone. So we're asking for your spirit to move. Father, you will be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.